This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the summer tour edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guest today is the incredible singer, songwriter, and musician, Caitlin Smith, who's made a name for herself as one of the most exciting young talents in country music. Caitlin grew up in the small town of Cannon Falls, Minnesota, where her Sundays were spent singing in church or enjoying the land of 10,000 lakes. But in the last decade, she has left an indelible mark on Nashville. Today, we talk about memories of helping her mother cook at their family's bed and breakfast, how she fell in love with songwriting, the email to Patty Griffin that helped kick off her career, and her introduction to Southern food. Plus, Caitlin recalls the first time she heard the recorded version of You Can't Make Old Friends, the hit song she co-wrote for Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Well, Caitlin Smith, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Hello, Sid. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's great to see you again. The last time I saw you was in 2016, and you were performing for a Southern Living event up in New York with some other Nashville songwriters. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I remember vividly the very, very good Southern food that was going on in the room. Do you remember that? The samples happening. How can I forget? But no, that was so much fun. I loved that. That was fun. And I had not heard you sing before, and I was just completely floored. And I remember one of the songs that you sang that night was Tacoma. Yes. <laughs> which is just a gorgeous song. It ended up being recorded by Garth Brooks. Yes. Oh, I love that song so much. I grew up listening to Garth and it's absolutely crazy to me that he recorded that song. I was sitting in a session one day in Nashville and my phone like made a little ding and I was like, oh, what is this? And I kind of just looked at it and it was an email from Garth. He's like, this song. And I was like, what? He's like, can I please record this song? I'm obsessed with it. So I was like, what? Okay, absolutely, Garth. And um, <laughs> and that really kicked off a friendship, which is so great. Him and Trisha are some of the best people that I know and I love them so much. So yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, hard to turn down Garth, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> but I did, you know, I love this song too. And so I did release my own version on my debut record, Starfire. It's one of my favorites to play at my shows as well. Well, I just hope you'll keep singing it because I still have a clip of it on my Instagram and I just love that song, really. Thank you. So Caitlin, you grew up in a small town in Minnesota. Is that right? That's correct. Cannon Falls. Cannon Falls. Population 3,000. I grew up behind a baseball field and grew up singing in church. It was just a cute little, I think in my childhood, and I was like, that was pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to sound very cold to the Southern audience. 
<laughs> it is cold. I think when I flash back to my childhood, I only have remembered the, the Minnesota summers and have completely blocked out the trauma of Minnesota winters. I don't like to go there. It's the worst. <laughs> well, so tell me a little bit about that town. What was it like growing up there as a kid? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, Minnesota is such a beautiful state. I mean, it's such a beautiful place to grow up. It's the land of 10,000 lakes. And so really anywhere you grow up in Minnesota, you're a hop, skip and a jump from a lake. And so a lot of Sundays were spent going to church and then we go spend the day on the lake. It just was lovely. I love growing up in a small town. It was one stoplight. We had kind of this old school downtown that was like a bakery and a hardware store. Like it's just so cute. <laughs> and um, what I love growing up in Minnesota and in a small town in particular was that it really gave me an opportunity to try things in music. You know, I started singing as a little girl and singing at little county fairs and coffee shops and things along the area. And it just was like, it felt very safe. And I felt very like free to just try things and experiment and, and gig around as a kid, which is very cool. Well, you mentioned church. Were some of your early gigs in church? I mean, was that a place where you kind of discovered singing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I grew up in kind of a traditional Lutheran church. And so I was raised on like the hymns, which I think just really instilled such a passion for like harmony. I just love to learn all the parts. And then, um, you know, as I grew up, we switched churches and went to a more like modern scenario with a band. As a teenager, I got this opportunity every week to just go play my guitar and sing some songs. And what's great about that kind of opportunity as a kid is like, you can totally suck and it's a safe place <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but I just feel grateful that there was like a place that was very safe to experiment and be able to just learn music and perform. You know, I can't tell you how many people come on this podcast who grew up singing in church and yeah. that was really a kind of a launching pad yeah. uh, for them in a lot of ways. Totally. It's really cool. And I mean, as a kid, I remember just being so inspired by these old hymns because there's something like in the melodies that are so intriguing and, and the way that the old songs are written. Like that's some of the first music I really had in my heart and soul. And there's something so wholesome and I can't quite put a word on it, but it definitely drew me to music at a very young age. Did you have a favorite hymn? Great is thy faithfulness. Mm. The melody. So, Caitlin, what did your folks do for a living? My dad was a police officer for 31 years. And my mom, she did a few different things. For a while, my parents owned a bed and breakfast. And so for probably five years of my childhood, I spent living in a bed and breakfast. Like we lived in the top floor, the bottom floor. And every week I get to play music for them on the piano, practice my piano. And, and it was such a like a fun thing to like grow up in this community with a revolving door, right? And then my mom went on like, you know, it just got to be really busy and she kind of got sick of the innkeeper's life. And so she works at a school as a para with kids with disabilities and they're just good people. I feel grateful for my parents. So they've always been yeah. very supportive and great folks. You know, I was going to ask you if you grew up around cooking and of course she did at a bed and breakfast. I mean, that was just yes. a part of every single day, I guess. Absolutely. What was that like? It was so much fun to learn all of these 
recipes. And there was a recipe book that was with the bed and breakfast that the innkeepers have passed along. And so, you know, I would wake up every summer morning to the smell of bran muffins or blueberry muffins. And my mom made this ridiculous egg bake. And it was such a beautiful memory because I would help her like plate the breakfasts and then bring them out to the guests and we'd use the good china, you know. And so it's just such a such a fun memory that I have with my mom of getting to help her prepare these this beautiful breakfast and the check-in desserts, you know. And so that definitely instilled like a passion for cooking. And I now just love to have people over to my house and do that same thing. And I think it was a lot because of that. Yeah, I've heard you say that you're a pretty avid cook. What do you like to cook? It depends on the season, right? If you were coming to my house, I'd probably just roast a a chicken and make some really delicious vegetables and a nice crisp salad. I'm free this weekend. Okay, good. Come on over. (laughs) I love making the whole chicken because it's such an experience. And then I always take the bones and make bone broth and then turn it into something else the next day, like a curry or a soup. Yeah, I love to cook. (laughs) As an artist, that tours. I'm always on the road. I love to try out new restaurants. And that's a really fun part about my job, you know, is getting to like, try out different food in different cities. But there is something that's really soul filling to just come home and be in my own kitchen and be able to be creative with cooking something. It's just a different way to use your creativity. And it really is like therapy for sure. Yeah. You know, I had Trisha Yearwood on this show who is almost as well known for her cooking as she is for her singing. And she talked about how it was a different kind of creative outlet for her. And it was a way to do something for people. She said it fed her soul and she couldn't imagine life without it. I fully relate to that. I should go get some coffee with Trisha and we could talk about our recipes, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, so, Caitlin, let's talk about music for a second. I mean, did you grow up with a lot of country music in the house or music in general? We always had a radio on in my house. Music was a constant, but it was kind of changing. A lot of country music, 90s country, so listened to a lot of Garth and Trisha, Martina McBride, Alison Krauss was like my first favorite record. But also my dad listened to a lot of classic rock. My parents love like songwriters, Paul Simon and Carol King. It just really was a lot of different music all throughout my childhood. Well, so you've got this unbelievably beautiful voice. Thank you. But you're <laughs> so well known for your songwriting. When did you start to write your own songs and kind of discover that? Yeah, I mean it's something I started experimenting with around eight or nine years old. I was really super into country music and was just curious, like, how do they write these songs? And so I just kind of started trying it. And then I just loved it. And I didn't stop. So by the time I was like, in middle school, I had written a bunch of my own songs. And I somehow conned my best friends to be in a band with me. And I was like, okay, we're going to play some covers, but we're going to play my originals. (laughs) And so it was just something that I love to do. I love to create and make stuff up. Honestly, I don't think I'll ever stop. I think I'm going to write songs until the day that I die. (laughs) I sure hope so. Was there one song that you wrote that kind of felt like a breakthrough that felt like, wow, okay, I'm onto something here? I used to do this called the Minnesota State Fair every summer. And I would try out 
some of my original songs. And one year, I think I was I was 15 years old, and I played an original song, just me and a guitar. And it like we got to the finals, and I won the whole thing. But winning that whole contest and getting to play it in front of 15,000 people and having people come up and be like, well, I want a copy of that song. I feel like that was the moment of, oh, people are connecting with whatever this is that I'm writing. It was called I Found You and just a simple little love song. And I would say that would be the song that really changed it all for me. (laughs) How did it go? Oh, man. I found you one isn't bad. No, I know it's true. I cannot remember it, but it was good. (laughs) (laughs) I found you. Something like that. It's like a little country ditty. You might need to record it. I'm going to need to find it. (laughs) Honestly, if I go back and listen to it now, it's my 15-year-old self. I'll probably cringe (laughs) to the max. (laughs) So did this set in motion your kind of Nashville idea? Like it might be time to start thinking about a move to Nashville if I'm going to be serious about this. Yeah, it really did. I mean, so I went in and I recorded that song and did it like a little independent record. It really did set the ball in motion. We met some random person who was from Nashville and they invited us down to come check it out. And I really fell in love with Music City on that trip. I remember discovering Music City and seeing like, wow, it's an incredible town that's full of people like me that want to do this music thing that's so cool. But what I didn't realize that I would find was that it's songwriter city and that there's this whole Mm. job out there where people just make up songs. And I thought, dang, this is the coolest thing. I found really quickly, like you can have the best voice in the world, but really what sets you apart and gives you a long career I was seeing was great songs. That's really what I wanted to focus energy into. And so I started taking trips back and forth every handful of months and eventually made the move down to Nashville a handful of years later. So how old are you when you're in that van with your mom on that first trip? Yeah, so I was 15. Wow. Yeah. So this was right after the State Fair thing. Right after the State Fair thing, we made the record. And really, that solidified it for me that it's like that trip made me go, I want to live here. I want to be here. I don't need to go to college, mom and dad. I'm just going to write songs. And they were like, okay, which I felt so grateful that they were like, what's your plan? I spent the next couple of years just trying to graduate high school as soon as possible and gigging on the weekends. <laughs> and like, I had my mind made up that it was Nashville or bus. So you get to Nashville and I'm wondering if there was an early gig in Nashville that kind of stands out for you, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I remember one of the first gigs I played in Nashville. And the only reason why I knew about it is because I was a huge, huge fan of this artist, Patty Griffin. And I was just looking online, I'm like, where is she playing next? How can I go see her? And I saw she was playing this festival. So I found an email. I emailed them. I was like, do you guys need another artist, an opening act? And I remember they're like, yeah, we do. We listen to your MySpace. It's great. Like I just remember getting the gig off of MySpace. I drove down there and I played on this flatbed trailer with hay bales all over it and pumpkins. And there was only a couple people there, but it got me in the door. I met some Nashville folks in there and made some lifelong connections just from that hay bale gig (laughs) back in the day. When you get there, you're this 
person who loves to cook and grew up in a bed and breakfast, but you don't know anything about Southern food. Right. Tell me a little bit about that learning curve and whether you had any help getting to know Southern food, learning how to cook some of it. I only had a small little intro. My great grandma made some really good fried chicken. I feel like that's a staple of Southern food, right? Fried chicken. Sure. Oh, but yeah. honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know the extent of Southern food until I went to this thing called a meet and three. I'd never been to a meet and three. I didn't even know what people were saying. It was a place called Monell's. And it actually is family style and you sit down and they pass all the food and you get the biscuits with the cheddar in them. And like, it's just so much gravy. I remember this day very vividly because I remember being like, this is insane. This is like so heavy, but outrageously delicious. I was trying to write a song that day with a couple of friends and we're like, let's go to Monell's instead. And maybe the idea will hit us over Southern food, right? So we stuffed ourselves to the brim and we went back and we could barely move. We're like, wow. And I was thinking, I think I really outdid myself. I should have really paced myself <laughs> in the and eating. But the cool thing was, is we were jamming away and a song showed up. We wrote it that day and it ended up being the first cut that I ever got on an artist named Jason Aldean. So my first real intro to Southern food, I think inspired my very first songwriting cut, <laughs> which is pretty Now that cool. is a good biscuits and <laughs> jam story. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to Monell's in Nashville? I have this? not, no. I mean, it's just, you just want to have like Thanksgiving dinner, Southern style and gain five pounds, go there. <laughs> it's best. All right, that's going on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'll be back with more from Caitlin Smith after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with singer-songwriter Caitlin Smith. So, Caitlin, you hadn't been in Nashville that long when you had a pretty big hit that you wrote for Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And it probably seemed like you'd been there for a really long time, but this was back in, I think, 2012 or so. Yeah, yeah. It's called You Can't Make Old Friends. And I've got to imagine that that was a surreal moment for you. How did that happen? And what did that mean to you at the time? I mean, it still is surreal, even hearing you say it back. It's hard to wrap my head around that those two legends recorded this song. And I just feel grateful 
for the entire thing. So when I first moved to Nashville, my publisher introduced me to this incredible songwriter named Don Schlitz. And Don is a Hall of Fame songwriter. He's written some of the best songs in country music from When You Say Nothing at All to The Gambler to Forever and Ever Amen. Like I call him my Yoda. (laughs) And so my publisher set me up with Don and he really became a mentor for that first year being in Nashville. So we wrote a bunch of songs and the story of You Can't Make Old Friends was that Don was being inducted in the Songwriter Hall of Fame and Kenny Rogers came up to him and said, hey Don, I have this song title. I'd love if you could write it for me. Kenny tells him the title's You Can't Make Old Friends. And Don says, okay. And then the next week, I happened to have a session on the books with him and go to his house. And he was like, how'd you like to try and write a song for Kenny Rogers today? And I was like, all right, let's try it. So as a writer, you just dream of the sky opens up and the song writes itself, you know. And so we wrote the song and sent it to Kenny and we didn't hear anything back for, I think it was six months, eight months. Then, you know, we go on to hearing through the grapevine that he recorded the song to celebrate 30 years since the release of Islands in the Stream with Dolly. He wanted to duet with her one last time and they cut the song together. And I literally just get chills, like even retelling the story. I remember the A&R person at Warner Brothers at their record label getting a copy of the master and, and calling me that day. She goes, you have to hear this. Where are you? She drove to my house and she had it on like a CD Walkman thing. (laughs) And she put the headphones on my ears and she's like, listen to this. And I just remember that first moment of hearing Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, like singing this song that I wrote with my dear friend. And it's just a moment I'll never, ever forget. And it ended up being kind of a farewell song for them. I mean, it was one of the last things that they sang together. It's incredible. Have you seen the music video for it? Yes. It's marvelous. It's so beautiful. And there's like a little interview that goes with it. And I mean, they're legends. And I just feel insanely grateful to have a tiny piece of the story. What a great story and a great song. So you're back in Minnesota now. But, you know, I heard you say somewhere that living in Nashville really changed you. And I'm just curious what you meant by that. Wow. Well, I think it was really formative. It was a formative time. I moved to Nashville when I was 23 years old. My husband and I got married. Two Minnesota kids moved straight to Nashville. It absolutely changed me. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to live in a city that eats, sleeps, and breathes music. I definitely moved to Nashville fairly naive and thinking, all right, I'm going to move here. I'm going to write some songs. But really, I wanted to move here and be an artist. And I thought, heck, I'll just take a couple meetings and get a record deal. I say that because I think I didn't realize how difficult it would be too. And so there's the piece where it's the community made me, but it also, as an artist, it's hard to hear no. It's hard to have doors closed. It's hard to hear no a billion times. Like everybody's doing music, but it's kind of built on luck too, right? You just hope that you'll get that lucky cut or that one person will be at that one show and you'll get your record deal or whatever it is. It's hard not to be jaded after a handful of years of living here. I'm sure. And so there's a piece of that too. That also makes me who I am. And it's a love-hate relationship for sure. It's like I'm obsessed with this city, but also 
breaks my heart. I write songs about it all the time. <laughs> well, so you wrote a song called I Can't. Yeah. Which you recorded with Old Dominion. And Matthew Ramsey's been on this show before. And awesome. um, it talks a lot about change and yeah. how hard it can be. Yeah. And there's actually a scene in the video that you made for it where you're crying. What was on your mind when you wrote that song? Yeah. I wrote that song after living in Nashville for a handful of years and see, I was driving by downtown Nashville and I was seeing like the skyline is just littered with a billion cranes and 16 new skyscrapers. And like, that's where the first lines of the song came. Like this ain't a 20 minute town no more. don't look the same. Like all that is just talking about the change that I've watched the city go through. Because when I moved here, there was like three restaurants that you could go to if you wanted a fancy dinner. Like it was a sleepy little town, right? And so I've, I've watched the city change, but then also I myself have changed as a person. I've had friendships and relationships come and go in my life and just evolved as a human. I wrote it to kind of sound like a breakup song, but it really dig, it speaks a lot deeper to just the change that I've gone through. I was so, so pumped that Old Dominion decided to join me on the song and add their magic. And making the music video was so, so fun because it gives you an opportunity to then show another angle and thought. And so in that scene where I'm crying, it was actually pretty easy to go there because it was, it was like right in the middle of like pandemic land. And we made the video to bring awareness to save our stages to Neva and how we haven't been on the road in a year. And like, so it was really easy to get to the tears. <laughs> Those tears are real <laughs> in the video. Well, I believe it. And that song came off of an album called Supernova that was going to be a really big moment for you. It was going to be a tour, all these interviews, and the release date was March of 2020. <laughs> yeah, March 13th, Lucky Friday the 13th. <laughs> Not good timing. Um, no. So... That had to be a bit of a gut punch yeah. uh, for you when everything yeah. got called off. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you spend two plus years or more of your life pouring your life into making a record, right? And you try and pick the truest stories and the best songs, right? And then, and then all the anticipation of like getting excited to release it. I definitely mourned that record. And I think I expected a lot from it. And just like everybody else probably expected a lot more from 2020 or a lot of different things from 2020. It was a gut punch. I mean, to be able to then like not get to bring this art in the way that I wanted to other people, it was hard for sure. <laughs> but we did it. I mean, I got to a place where I'm like, oh, it's okay. I can't control this. And whoever needs to hear this record and find these songs will find it. And I was able to let it go, but it took a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, Caitlin, you have a new song out called High, which sounds kind of like a breakup song. And it builds from something that's very sort of contemplative 
to something very emotional and powerful. Yeah. What was the story behind that song and how did that come together? Well, I wrote that song with my good friend, Jen DeSilvio. I had started the lyric just sitting on my bed in a hotel in LA, downtown LA and was just really thinking of, as an artist, the emotional roller coasters that I go to and where I get my inspiration. And I brought this idea to, to Jen and she knew exactly where to take it in the chorus where it's like, we have these people in our lives that make such great impressions on our hearts and on our souls. And, and even if we've moved on from them, it's like, sometimes you think about them and you're like, wow, that was crazy. Or that was whatever, insert feeling here. And so it was really just writing on a memory. We finished the song and, and it kind of made its way through the music business. And somehow someone passed it to Mark Ronson, who then showed it to Miley Cyrus. And she just fell in love with the song. And so she recorded on her Plastic Hearts record. Now, after writing High, I, I knew right away, I'm like, this is my song. This is like a story I'm digging in the back of my brain for. And so when she asked for the song, I was like, yes, 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 please. <laughs> I love to hear her version of it too. And it's just, it's so cool when you create something that someone else connect, like another artist connects with enough that they want to be able to sing it every night. It's honestly the highest honor. My very best saying goodbye. Goodbye. Well, and she did a different version of it. Yeah, totally. So when you sat down, I'm sure you just had something completely different in your head yeah. when you sat down to record it. Totally. And and it was so cool because the songs on this last record, as I was writing it. I really was hearing the music so vividly, and, and especially in a song like Hi. I wrote that song just on a guitar, but I could hear all of the production, the background vocals, the big drums. Writing a song like that kind of unlocked this thing inside of me that made me very curious about trying out production and self-producing a record. And so this whole last record, I decided to kind of take this risk, and there aren't any other females, at least in the country circle that I know of that have self-produced a record. So it was a little scary for me. I'm like, whoa, nobody really does this. There must be a reason. I don't know. That's because it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> would you do it again? I would because, man, isn't it kind of thrilling to do scary things? Wow. And didn't, like, I grew so much in that process. I grew leaps and bounds in making this record, learning how to trust myself, learning how to tune out all of the outside voices, sharpening my ears. Like I feel like I could write a book on the thing, the lessons I've learned in doing it. And so man, I definitely would do it again because how much fun <laughs> was that? <laughs> it was awesome. Speaking of things you would do again, would you tour with George Strait again? Yes. Like <laughs> you call me anytime. And actually good news. You know, we got to do a bunch of dates with him last year and it's a dream come true. And he's asked me to open for him again in Vegas this December. So we're doing a couple more shows and I'm on cloud nine thinking about it. He's a legend. 
I also <laughs> cannot help but just cry the entire time that he is on stage. <laughs> like, because those songs are like in my soul, my blood, right? So George is the best. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, I want to ask you about your work with a group called Girls of Nashville. Yes, yes. Which is all about trying to give women more visibility and more equity yeah. in the music business. What are some things you've taken away from that experience? Yeah, totally. Well, what an incredible honor to be a part of such a beautiful movement that really ha has happened in Nashville. You know, we started it, gosh, it was eight years ago. It's a show where we have about 12 to 15 girls play and just share the stage with our friends. I mean, I was seeing there's just, there's an outrageous amount of talent in Nashville and not enough places for these women to be seen and celebrated and heard. And so, you know, we just created a seasonal show to just spotlight our favorite girls. And in the process, it really became this cherished night in Nashville. It sells out all the time. And it's really taught me the insane importance of community. And especially as, as a woman in this business, there are a lot of dudes in the music business. It's not for the light of heart, the faint of heart, the music industry. And so to be able to have other women to connect with call up to be able to bounce stuff off with. We really created this community that's just taught me like we need each other and we need to support each other. So it's been a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> Do you feel like Nashville is a more welcoming town for female artists than it was when you got there a decade or so ago? Yes, I definitely have seen a shift and I'm so grateful for it. When I moved to town and I started just writing songs, there were only two females on the radio. And so the message that was telling me is like, oh, there's really not a space for you as an artist in this genre. And so, yeah, I feel grateful because as the years have gone by, women have just like, really, they've just made their way. They've written all the songs on the radio instead of been the artist on the radio. And then now there's just, I have seen this insane wave of female talent that I'm just in awe with and stoked on because I grew up on like women, country women of the 90s, that I'm just excited that it's actually happening. So thank God it's changed. It's changing. <laughs> <laughs> we still have ways to go, but it's changing. <laughs> well, so you have now left Nashville and you and your family moved back to Minnesota. Tell me about being back there and What's it been like to be reunited with your family and back in your home state? Yeah, I mean, both my husband and I being from Minnesota, it's been a dream of ours to get back home. And just because we love it, we were finding that we would be out on the road and we'd come back to Nashville and there was still static, there was still noise. But when we would go back to Minnesota, that was able to kind of just shut off. And so it's been a really like wonderful lovely season. It's been very like healing. And honestly, like when I moved to Nashville, we didn't have kids. And now I've got a, a five-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy and being able to raise them like with their grandparents and their cousins really close. That's something that we, we really wanted. And so it's been really enriching and really nice to be close to family. But honestly, we we're back in Nashville, like every month. <laughs> so we haven't really left and we, we, we never really will. We still love it here in Nashville and 
I think we'll always split time, but it's fresh air for us there and in, in more ways than one. Well, you got a lot of tour dates coming up. Are you excited to get back out on the road and be playing music in front of people? Yes, it's the best. That's the best part of the job, Sid, getting out there and playing music for people. Yeah, it's been an absolute treat to be out on the road. I just finished up my high and low headline tour, and that was just the best time. And we're doing a bunch of festivals and all that good stuff this summer, and and it feels good. It's fun. And, and, and you can tell that people missed it. You know, the audiences are just out of their mind, excited to be there. And I think everybody just feels extra grateful after having not done it for so long to be back. It feels good. <laughs> well, Caitlin Smith, thank you so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Thank you, Sid. It was a pleasure. Have an awesome day, my dear. You too. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Caitlin Smith. You can check out her latest album, High, wherever you get music. Make sure to visit CaitlinSmith.com for tour dates, social media, and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at SouthernLiving.com slash Biscuits and Jam. Make sure to come back here next week for my conversation with Parker McCollum.